Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Years ago, my wife and I were privileged to spend some time at one of America's premier plantations. It's called Monmouth. Monmouth Plantation. And we're not getting paid any advertising for mentioning that, but I do want to uh, use that as the context for sharing something with you to set the tone for our program here today. As we were there at Monmouth Plantation, and my wife was decked out as a uh, uh, with with hoop skirts, and my daughters and so on were all there uh, to display Southern plantation livelihood. We discovered in their little store a plaque. And on that plaque were these words, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? We were so struck by that as so important, expressing a fundamental uh, idea for all of us that we purchased the plaque and have kept it in our family room where people gather every single week to praise the Lord, but also to consider where they stand with the God they claim to serve. If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Well, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that from time to time, we all feel in various ways closer to God than at other times, don't we? Sometimes we're deeply moved and we feel like uh, we've just had the, the, uh, almost the incarnate presence of God right there with us. And then, a few days or weeks later, we wonder what ever happened. Where is God in the midst? As we see the time of the second coming approaching, we're going to experience that more and more, friends. We just are. Because things are going to get darker and darker. They're not going to get brighter and brighter, as some people are trying to say. They think they're encouraging you, but actually they're discouraging because they're not preparing you for what is coming. Today, however, we're going to quiet our minds and our hearts to help us to try to understand and get inside the mind and heart of God so that you and I can experience the quietness, the conversation that is necessary to feel close to God. And it's always not just a matter of our feelings. It's fundamentally a matter of our faith. And so I hope you'll stay tuned. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Our special guest today, Kim Brannon, with her book, Quiet Conversations, What God Wants You to Know About Him. Kim, it's good to have you on the board from uh, Tampa, Florida. Yes, thank you, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, indeed, God does want us to know about him, but the problem with so many of us in the uh, Christian community and for years and years and years is that the nature of discipleship has not so much been about knowing God, but knowing about him. And there's a fundamental difference. God does not call us to know about him Even the devil knows about God. He wants us to know him, doesn't he? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, and I think that at the heart of getting to know God, it's very similar when you get to know a new neighbor or a new colleague or someone uh, that you now can look back and call a friend. It takes uh, reciprocity on both parts. And God wants us to know him, and we want God to understand and know our heart and our mind. And so we need to communicate in a two-way fashion with one another. Absolutely. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that his fundamental purpose was to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. Not to know about God. Right. You can know all of, are Are you married? I'm a widow. You're a widow. widow, okay. okay. I was married 33 wonderful years. Okay, and you talked, that's right, because you talked about the Brandon family and all of the wonderful children and grandchildren yes. and great-grandchildren. Uh, yes. So here, here's the deal. What I'm trying to communicate here is you can know all about your husband, but you don't necessarily know him. You can know his birth date. You can know what color his eyes are. You can know what color his hair is. You can know what toothpaste he uses to brush his teeth with, but you still don't know him. And that's the deception to think that we can know all this stuff about God and somehow convince ourselves that we know him. Absolutely. I believe that it's one of the most deceptive concepts that the church struggles with is it's almost like from very young many people emphasize to children you need to know about god Mm -hmm. let me teach you about god not let me introduce you to god who created you and knows you you need to know him well it's hard for a parent to introduce his his or her children to God, to know him, when the parent, him or herself, doesn't really know God, only knows about him. Exactly. Indeed. And that is a challenge. Um, That's why years ago, when uh, my husband and I had three young children in our neighborhood, I met a lot of uh, wonderful parents who had young children as well, and they did not have a personal relationship with Christ. But I'm not one of those people who wants to, you know, hit someone over the head with a baseball bat to say, you need to be saved. You need to understand this. So I gradually got to know them and shared the love of Christ and started a parent's Bible study by just saying, would you like to come to a Bible study to learn how to teach your children Mm -hmm. about God? Because then they came with the true, authentic uh, idea of learning to teach their children, but also under the auspices that they needed to know what to teach their children. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great way to really present the gospel to them as well. Do and you know? Time, they began to realize that they needed to really grasp it themselves in order to teach it and introduce their children to Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed the way Jesus taught? He did not do a lot of what we call didactic teaching. In other words, he didn't call people out for a Bible study to teach about God. He didn't give them information about God. What he did was relay through his life, 
through his conversations, through the things that he valued or didn't value, uh, everything about him, he communicated who God was. Then his disciples said, well, show us the Father. And he said, come on, guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, you have seen God. You have seen what God is like. So the Bible says that Jesus chose 12 to be with him, not to do it to them, but to be with them. I think that's one of the missing links in really knowing God. Today, do you long to be close to God, my friend? That's what the rest of our program is about today. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. As we say regularly, uh, we're not here to inform people because God never commanded us to be informed. Rather, he commanded us to be transformed. And the difference between information, you see, and transformation, even about God, is application. And that's what's missing. That's almost always what's missing. And that's what Jesus did with his life. You say his life was the bridge of application between the Father and the people, and he actually applied or lived out, he fleshed out the Bible or the Torah. He was the living Torah or the living word. And that's exactly what he calls you and I to be. Did you know that, my friend? That's exactly what he calls you and me to be. He said, here's what Jesus said. Think about this. He said, you're the light of the world. Oh, but before that, he said, I'm the light of the world. Oh, but then he said, I'm not in the world anymore. Now you're the light of the world. What did he mean by that? He said, I know the Father. And I spend time with him. And I'm here to do his will. That's the only thing that matters to me is to do his will. So I'm out of here now, as the Father sent me, even I send you now. And now all the things that I did, you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to know the Father. You're supposed to know the Father because you claim to know me. So our special guest today, Kim Harvey Brandon, with her book, Quiet Conversations, What God Wants You to Know About Him, it should be very precious to you, and I want to make the book available to you right now before we get carried away. $14 is going to put this $15 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2 3255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. 
Okay. In the 1960s, there was a chorus that was commonly sung in our churches across America. And it went sort of like this. Just to be near him, to feel his presence, I have a longing in my heart for him. Hmm. So here's the question. Do you have a longing in your heart for him? Or are you just interested in information about God? Kim, why is it that so many professing Christians don't seem to have a longing to be near him? That is a complicated question. It's <laughs> <because laughs> a great question. You're sounding God. like a politician now. <laughs> it's complicated because I don't think there's one answer. That's okay. Where I was going with that. I think that for some people, they might not... I think they might be so self-reliant that they don't see a need for God in their life. Okay. That, w- that would be the others. rich young ruler, right? Exactly. Okay. Very uh, proud, confident, hardworking, very resilient, and very pr- a little prideful usually in that they're like, I've worked very hard to have everything I have. That You know what that and sounds think- like? That sounds like uh, Southern Christianity. The Bible Belt of America, Southern Christianity, I got it made in the shade. Don't tell me anything I don't want to know. (laughs) Very well could be. (laughs) And other people, they, um, I think they want to take the idea of God. Maybe they've come up with the idea of things, say, had bits and pieces they perhaps learned about God mm-hmm. as a child or in their teen years as they were growing up, or they've heard a little here, read a little there, not sure what's real and what's not. But I think they would rather form an idea of who God is in their mind, made up of what they really want God to be, who they want him to be, as opposed to really discovering the Ooh. almighty living God who created the world and everything in it. Do you know, Kim, that you just described the cover story of Time magazine on April 5th, 1993? Here's what it was. The front cover was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Wasn't talking about the generation that was to come. The generation that began in the late 1960s through 1993 had already forgotten God. And then people were rushing back to church after Gulf War One, and Time Magazine said this, church will never again be the same. Why? Because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image or in their own imagination. Amazing. That's exactly Powerful what you just said. Words. Powerful words. And I see it as I encounter a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. And when I become engaged with them and I love to converse and say, share with me your understanding about God and the role he plays in your life. I like to have open-ended questions. And if someone starts talking about a God who starts, in my opinion, to resemble Santa Claus, (laughs) then I have a feeling 
they've kind of conjured up that idea of who they want God to be mm. or who maybe with bits and pieces of information woven inappropriately, but also information shared inappropriately as a child with them, they've come up with this idea and this notion of God that isn't really reality-based. It's not biblically-based. And then I think there's also people who feel like, this is one of my favorites, is um, they literally have said to me in the past, you know, I'm kind of on the family plan. You know, my grandmother was a wonderful Christian woman, and the, her mother before her, my great-grandmother. Mm. And I have an answer when people say that to me is, God has no grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to be a child of God, has to have their own original state. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to another word that you used. <laughs> and that other word is the word saved. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, saved is a buzzword. Uh, I call it a buzzword sure. in the evangelical yeah, community. Right. Uh, and let's let's just use an example uh, of our friend, Dr. Billy Graham, who traveled yeah. the country from 1948 in Southern California and back and forth and then around the world. And uh, uh, he held crusades. And I was at the Los Angeles crusade, I remember, when I was young. And, uh, you know, you have them singing, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, uh, George Beverly Shea and all of those, and then thousands right. of people walking forward. And the testimony then comes, I was saved at a Billy Graham rally 20, 30, 50 years ago. Right. They never talk about their life with Christ. Right. They don't talk about their relationship with Christ. They just say, I was saved. Saved for what? Saved right. to what? Saved from, from what? what? And exactly. the problem is we have used this word saved as a buzzword behind which we hide to excuse our lack of an ongoing relationship with God. That's Absolutely. my concern. I agree. I agree. And I believe that there are also some people, so you have that extreme. That's a great example. That extreme, you then have the other extreme where people don't recognize that they have anything in their life to be saved from because mm-hmm. they don't believe that they are sinful. Yeah, because like, I'm a good I've guy. Never, I've never killed anybody. Mm-hmm. I've never killed anybody. I've never kidnapped a child. I mean, they have these really, you know, extreme examples. And I don't see they, that they really genuinely recognize the need for God because they don't think they need a Savior. They don't think they need to be saved from a life that could be filled with sin or a life that could become meaningless because its ultimate purpose is not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right. We used to sing a song, or at least it was a popular song to be sung, I'll walk with God from this day on. His mighty hand I'll lean upon. I'll pray to him, and so on, each day to him. And he'll hear the words that I say. Whatever happened to the reality of that in the life of professing Christians? I'll walk with God from this day forward? Really? How would you ever know it? 
the statistics for the past 25 years from both secular and Christian uh, pollsters have concluded that there's no real functional difference between the lifestyle of professing Christians and that of their secular counterparts. How would we ever know that we were walking with God? Are we playing pretend? (laughs) We're playing church, perhaps. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like when I was a little girl, I would want to be the minister and preach. (laughs) My brother got stuck having to pretend that he knew how to play the piano or something. But yes, I mean, the reality is that... um, when people really make a commitment to dig into the scriptures, the holy word of God, there is so much there is so much substantiation that we need to have an ongoing alive faith with a living God and one who loved us so much that if we were the only person in the whole world, he would have died just for us. And that issues into a transformation, the words you used earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Jesus said, I come that you could have life and life abundantly. And it's a whole lifestyle. I love that Jesus said, I came to give you life. Because he was talking to people who were standing before him when he said that, who were very much alive physically. But they weren't alive spiritually. They weren't alive emotionally with a connection of their maker and understanding that they are a child of God. Well, the premier leaders, the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day, from his viewpoint, were not walking with God at all. Right. They were leading the synagogues. They were part of the 71-member Sanhedrin that were governing Israel as a theocracy. But Jesus said, you don't know God. You are of your father, the devil. That's what he said. You're of your father. They did not know God. They knew about him. They were Torah addicts, so to speak, but they didn't comprehend the relationship with the living Torah. They didn't know God. Exactly. Exactly. I also love this expression is um, going to church to make yourself become a Christian is no more wise than saying that going to a garage can make you a car. Mm -hmm. Walking inside a building is not what transforms a life. Having to seek and find and discover and learn and draw close to the living God through what I call quiet conversations Mm -hmm. and learning to listen as much as we speak when we are involved in prayer with God. That is the mark of a true believer. And that's what we want to focus on for the balance of the program. We've been diagnosing the situation, uh, discerning that the concept of really knowing God and walking with him is very rare among professing Christians. Very rare. Why? And what can we do about it? And if indeed, Kim, we're on the near edge of the second coming, as many people are increasingly believing things are going to get tougher and tougher we better know how to walk with god don't you think for sure all right friends here's the book go ahead i was just going to say we want to know him so that we can enjoy him and glorify him before we will need to meet him one day exactly (laughs) 
exactly. All right. We are going to meet him, friends. Everybody's going to meet him. Jesus is going to be the judge. The Bible says he's going to be the judge. The Father is not the judge. Jesus is the judge. So if we know Jesus, we know if he's the judge, then he's going to do exactly what the Father would do. So don't try to excuse yourself from relationship with the Father because you know Jesus. If we really know Jesus, we know the Father, and we need to know him the way Jesus knew his Father. All right, the book is called Quiet Conversations. We haven't gotten to the quiet conversations yet, but we're going to. What God Wants You to Know About Him. It's a $15 book, yours for $14, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Ready at check at $5 for postage and handle. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. Let's walk with God. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. We're to run the race and not be weary, but we're to walk with God from this day on. That's right. We sing that wonderful song in the garden. In the garden, I walk with him and talk with him, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had that experience, my friend? That's what God wants with us and for us. He wants us to walk with him, to talk with him, to have a quiet conversation with him. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Kim, what's your first answer? I believe we all respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit in different ways. For me personally, I have come to feel closest to God through His Holy Word, through mm-hmm. scriptures. Right. Many others perhaps are drawn by the wooing of the Spirit on a beautiful mountainside or walking on a beach because they can see and experience firsthand the the grandeur and glory of God in nature that he created. Others um, are drawn through the communication with other believers who draw them and woo them on behalf of the Lord. So we all kind of have our way, but I believe that whatever that way is, that is a gift from God that you start to feel a tugging. You might not even know if it is the Holy Spirit, but you feel a tugging 
in your heart, your soul, the deepest part of you, perhaps in your mind, and there's a curiosity planted, and there's a willingness, even if you had never been open to the idea of God existing before, suddenly you just are wondering, is this all there is? Isn't there more after life? Perhaps it's after you lose a loved one and you think, maybe there is a God. Maybe there's something more after I leave this earth. And whatever that longing is, I believe that is being planted and watered and sun is shining on it by the Holy Spirit within us to create that curiosity and that desire and longing to know God more personally. All right. Now, you're speaking primarily from an evangelistic perspective, in other words, reaching those who have never embraced Christ as Savior. But how about reaching those who say they have come into that relationship with Christ being saved but are still not walking with God? That's my biggest concern, because if God can't get his own warmest audience to walk with him, how in the world is he going to get the others? (laughs) It's an illusion. We're playing a game. We're just not serious about this, I think. I think we have to ask ourselves questions, and also I think we need to ask one another in love and in kindness to say, hey, I've missed seeing you for a while. I'd love to connect with you. Tell me, what's God doing in your life right now? Mm -hmm. And just like throw something out there that if the person realizes they have no answer, maybe that should be a self-revelation of something. Mm -hmm. When was the last time I thought about God, reached out to God, tried to contemplate on a scripture or just a couple words out of scripture or a song? that was penned hundreds of years ago, perhaps, that speaks to your heart or soul. I remember, I want to go back to your initial statement about uh, uh, the words of the scriptures uh, that were the leading force for you in your relationship with the Lord and how precious those words were. And then you said something about, uh, you know, others might be moved by a walk on the beach or by being on the mountain or something like that. I I want to share a couple of thoughts with you about this, because uh, there was a period of time in my life, in my uh, mid-20s, where I spent about five years mountaineering, rock climbing, peak climbing. I did it all. And I remember hearing people say, these were professing Christians. It would say, well, I'm not going to church now. I go to the mountain." In other words, they said, I feel closest to God in the mountains. Okay, but it's not about your feelings. It's about your faith. It's about something that anchors your soul, not just your feelings at the moment. I mean, I feel awestruck by standing out at the beach and seeing a glorious sunset or a sunrise. I mean, who wouldn't be awed by that? Yeah. But that's not the essence of walking with God. Is it? No, I think that it can strengthen a walk with God that you have because you can feel closest. Perhaps you have some of your most quiet conversations in a setting like that because that is a setting that moves you. And you. I think when we are in a place that we can see the handiwork of God and the mm-hmm. beauty of His hand, I think it opens up 
space within us to... And hence the words of the Swedish psalm, a song, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Yes, exactly. Okay. It opens up that space of recognition. Like, one of the things I love about the beach, I'm a Florida girl through and through, I love water, I grew up on a lake, I love beaches, I live near the bay, Mm -hmm. and... What I love is that when I look at that water and I look to the other side and I realize I can't even see to the other side, it reminds me that God's love is completely boundless and limitless. And so that's what I'm talking about is when he reveals himself through nature, Mm. because it reminds us of the intrinsic characteristics and attributes of God. But the primary way that God speaks, as the Scripture says, is through His Word. There's no substitute for that, is there? I don't think there's a substitute for it, but I think there's reinforcement. There you go. Reinforcement. Reinforcement of it, because I always recommend when someone says, you know, how can I draw closer to God? Or how can I get to know God? Either way from the evangelistic aspect or someone who proclaims to be a believer and they want to draw closer, I always say, go back to his word. This is not rocket science. He, we were given the gift of his word for reasons, And that's why I believe the more we read his word, the more we can see the things that he does want us to know about. Us. And coming that's to love his here. word takes, it takes time, doesn't yeah. it? And well, it takes a lot of time to get to know it. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time to cross reference it. Like if what you read in Genesis, then suddenly you realize a few chapters later something comes back up about the history of God's people in Exodus, or when you read something in Psalms, the book of Psalms, and it's talking about creation. I mean, so much of God's word cross references itself and validates itself. Um, I mean, when you try to study, say, a book that's a very challenging book to read, is the book of Revelation that John wrote mm-hmm. when he was isolated, you know, on an island. So much of Revelation is made more clear if you've read the prophet Daniel. Exactly. And that's an example, though, of it does take a commitment, a commitment of time, a curiosity, and opening yourself up to learning more about God, but getting to know him more personally through that process. All right. Well, let's suppose, let's suppose, Kim, that uh, I think in my mind that I sincerely love the Lord and want to walk with him uh, and have him talk with me and experience that in the garden experience. But... There are things in my life that don't line up with his word. And I hear people talk about it on the radio, and I hear people talk about it in television. I hear people talk about it in the church, and but I, I don't agree. I just don't agree with certain things that are in the Bible. How can I have a loving, open-hearted relationship with the Lord where he talks with me and I with him when I disagree with him in whole or in part? Well, I think that's a good example of 
you know how I said earlier that when you want to get to know someone, there's a give and take, there's a reciprocity. And if you want to get to know a person and become their friend and have them become your friend, you've got to have an exchange back and forth. Well, I think that if you place conditions on God, you're placing conditions on the creator of the universe who did not place conditions on his love or his grace. He sent his son to die for you, your very life, and yet you're going to put conditions on what you want to pick and choose to believe about him instead of just taking him for who he is and who the Bible presents him historically. Well, God said, you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the same things that I say. Isn't he really saying, look, I can't have fellowship with you because you don't want to do my will. You don't want to walk in the ways of my household. You want to do your own thing. Yeah, I think we place a lot of people put a lot of conditions on their faith. They put conditions on what they choose their beliefs are. They put conditions on, well, I'll do this for God, but I'm not about to do that. I'm not about to stop doing that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think people forget about when they think about, people don't like to talk about sin, but the more you learn about sin from the Bible, the more you realize that sin separates us Mm -hmm. in our relationship with God. In fact, it's the only thing that separates us. Right. And often that's where people get tripped up Mm. and the conditions they place on God are that they don't want to stop a sinful behavior that either they're enjoying immensely or they've decided they don't think it's sinful, Mm -hmm. regardless of what God's Word says about it. But that is always going to block our true, genuine, harmonious, joy-filled relationship with God. All right. So the next question would be then, so I'm in a situation where I really understand that there's something between me and the Savior. There is to be a song like that. Nothing between me and the Savior. Well, what is there between me and the Savior? What is it between me and Him that's not allowing me to have this sweet fellowship with Him? Now what do I do? Let's talk about that when we get back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're talking with our friend Kim Harvey Brannon with her book, Quiet Conversations, What God Wants You to Know 
about him. Well, how can we know what God wants us to know about him? You see, our, our interest here is not to know more about God, but what we want to do ultimately is to know him. We want to be able to walk with him. We want to be able to talk with him. We want to have this sense of sweet fellowship with him, don't we? That sense of withness. Jesus had that sense. He got away with the Father, uh, away from his disciples, and uh, talked to his Father uh, quietly, uh, apart, and uh, was inspired that way. The Father communicated to him, uh, showed him what uh, he was to say, what he was to do. He said, I don't do anything that I haven't seen the Father do. I don't say anything I don't hear him say. And that should be the way we are also. But what happens if it's not the way we are? Now, in the reality, every single one of us has things that come up in our lives that separate us in our relationship. If you're married, there are things that come up in your marriage relationship that separate you either for a very short period of time, maybe even just a few minutes, to a few days even. Something happens, and then something has to be done about what happened in order to restore that wonderful fellowship. The same is true with God, isn't it, Kim? Yes, it is indeed, Chuck. I have found that when we wonder why our closeness seems to be dimmed or it's lacking in our relationship with God, that if we ask and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us exactly what's going on in our life that's mm-hmm. causing that blockage, if you will, or that separation, the distance that we're starting to feel, he will reveal it every single time. Isn't that what David said? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We actually put that to music, one of the most beautiful choruses we sing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Isn't that a prayer that we ought to make a common cry to the Lord? We definitely should. And God knows us like no one else. He knows our intricacies. He knows our fears. He knows our hopes, our dreams, our disappointments. You're downsizing. You're down. He knows you're downcasting and you're uprising. He knows everything, doesn't he? He sure does. If he knows how many hairs are on each of our heads. (laughs) That's getting an easier and easier job for him with me, I'll tell you. (laughs) I was going to say, or the lack of how many hairs on our heads. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. How many we used to have versus what we do have. Right. But yes, God, he will reveal it to us. And I will just caution your listeners that if your heart is pure, and you really do long to be closer to the Lord, and you're not sure exactly why you don't feel that, go to God and ask Him, and the Holy Spirit will reveal it. But one warning is, you might not like what you find out. Mm. You might discover that something you've been involved in that really is displeasing to the Lord, that is not His best will for your life, it might be something you really don't want to let go. Yeah. So... It's going to stir things up. Well, in but fact, uh, God stirred things. 
God stirred things up with the religious leaders of his day with the words of Malachi in chapter 2. He said, look, you guys are crying to me. You're belly aching on my altar, and I'm sick and tired of it. I don't want to hear it anymore. He said, the reason you're doing this and you're not getting my favor is because you're dealing treacherously with the wives of your youth. You're divorcing them. You're sending them out to pasture. You're dealing treacherously. In fact, three times, he says, you're dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. And then he says, take heed to your spirit. Well, guess what? That's been the characteristic of American churchianity since the late 1960s. The divorce rate in America, and God says, I hate it. Now what are we going to do about it? You won't hear any pastor talk about it. Why? Because they're afraid of upsetting the people, but then the people can't have an open and free walk with God because they continue to persist in doing what they want to do. That's why I say God can stir it all up. (laughs) He just did. He just did. I mean, and you know, as a Christian, as a believer, it's very disheartening to me that when you look at what you mentioned earlier, um, research and polls about divorce in America Mm. of people who do not say that they cling to faith versus those who call themselves believers, there's very little to no difference whatsoever. well let's let's look at it this way let's look at it this way you are in the south and i'm in the south from richmond virginia to tampa florida for the past 20 years the divorce rate in the bible belt of america the south right has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50 percent think about That's that very exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. In other words, what we've done is approved what God says he hates in the name of Christ himself. Now, what does that do to encourage a nice, wonderful walk with God with peace and quietness? It becomes an abomination, honestly. And it. I think what it demonstrates is that people have started to think they know better than God knows, and that they can make the best choices for their lives. Well, that's what Satan said to Eve in the garden. Exactly. And that that old ancient book called the Bible, that's very passe. Mm. The word is very popular, and, you know, it happens to everybody today. And they completely justify their sins. And until you can come to grips with the fact that and we all every day that's why confession is an important part of prayer because mm-hmm. even if i haven't gotten a divorce i may have told a white lie today or i may have overestimated something or i may have made a miscalculation or i said a kind word unkind word to someone mm. or have been unforgiving yes mm-hmm. had a cold heart against, yeah. you know not being willing to forget and there are also of omission mm-hmm. that I think are just as um, convicting in my life that when I have had a chance to do something that would be so good for a person mm-hmm. or to really remedy a, a difficult situation and I choose not to get involved or I think I'm too busy mm-hmm. or I justify it that way, 
that hurts God as much as when I go out of my way to do something unkind. Mm -hmm. You're right, because you're not doing the will of him that sent you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are brought to our mind. The closer we want to get to the Lord, the more his spirit will reveal to us the things we need to clean house. And when we do, when he does that, there is something that he gives us the opportunity to do in response. It's the most positive, hope-filled word in the Bible. It's the R word, repentance. Repent. Repent. Isn't that the most hope-filled word? Because it's the only way to be restored to that wonderful, kind, quiet, peaceful, loving walk with the Lord in the light of his word. That relationship. That relationship. And that's why confession is so important, because you have to confess your sin and recognize it. Mm-hmm. And the things that you know have broken the heart of God or disappointed God and express your remorse and your repentance, because God's grace and mercy forgives all. Yeah. And we've got to get there by our recognition first. And and then asking God for his forgiveness. So here's the beloved disciple, John, in chapter 1 of 1 John. He's the one who writes about the love of God so much. And he says, look, if you say that you've not sinned, you make him a liar, and his word is not in you. But if you'll confess your sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the first thing we have to do is what you said, confess that means we have to own up to it but confession may be good for the soul but it doesn't change things what changes is repentance repentance is the act of changing that which we are confessing of Mm -hmm. and we need both of those not just confession but repentance turning it's the turning back so going back to that little motto that i shared with the opening of the program today if you don't feel close to god guess who moved (laughs) exactly i mean it's pretty simple isn't it (laughs) if you don't feel you know what look every relationship depends upon the same things my relationship with my wife my relationship with my kids my relationship uh, actually with listeners and so on, and our relationship with God. And I, I put this together in, in seven points. Uh, we have to walk with him, and we talk with him. We need time together, talking, thinking, thanking, and tenderly touching. Every relationship, time together, talking, thinking, thanking, and tenderly touching. Doesn't that tie it together? It does. And we have to listen. I think we need to really work on our listening. A lot of people who profess great faith and they say, oh, yeah, I pray every day. And I'm like, that's great. Do you listen to God in your prayer time? No, I'm I'm praying. Mm-hmm. Like, well, prayer is a two-way. It is a dialogue. It is not a monologue. 
Exactly. And I think that trips a lot of people up. Mm-hmm. They like want to check it off their list and thank God for everything and ask all their requests of God. Maybe they're even confessing things. But are they just filling their heart and being quiet and pondering the magnificence of God? Here's what I do every day before a radio program. Before the last half hour before a program, I spend about 30 minutes taking a quiet time, just very quiet aside. And during that time, I listen. I talk to the Lord. He puts thoughts in my mind, in my heart. And through that, my spirit is prepared to come confidently and quietly before our listeners. It's amazing the things that he inspires me with during those 30 minutes. And I'm not yapping at him. I'm listening. You're listening. And you've opened your heart. When you make, I believe listening is a decision. You have to make a decision to be still to stop what you're doing, clear your mind, and listen. And open your mind and your heart for space to accept and take in what God will share with you. Oh, Kim, that brings up one of my favorite scriptures. Be still and know that I am God. Yes, Be still. I love that. Boy, is it hard to do that in today's world. I look at the young people and their ears are filled with noise. I look at uh, everybody else. Everything is noise, 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 noise. Be still and know that I am God. Kim, thanks so much for your wonderful book, Quiet Conversations, friend. What God wants you you to know about him so you can walk with him, talk with him, have that wonderful relationship. $14, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Write a check at $5 for postage and handling. You see, we're preparing for destiny, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour right here. Be still and know that I am God, he said. Mm-mm-mm. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friend. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. The other guy's not doing it. God bless. Be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.